0: Hello, this is Chris Parker, and I just had a conversation with Steph Cuisinier on the Business Simplicity podcast, and we unpacked some, I think some pretty profound, um, topics around organizational dynamics and got into some alternatives like sociocracy and holacracy. Um, but for me, the, the, the joy was really going you know, looking at all of these different perspectives that are maybe driving us unconsciously on, on how we organize ourselves at work. And, um starting to discover that there's there's there are, in fact, better alternatives emerging. So, hey, Steph, why would it be really valuable for people to listen to this conversation?
1: Well, I hope that um, I can inspire you a little bit with my thinking on how we could organize um, our teams and our organizations in ways that are economically successful, but also have positive impact on planet and on society at the same time, creating happy people in them. The Business Simplicity Podcast, where we learn about strategies and tactics to succeed through simplicity with your host,
0: Chris Parker. And welcome back to the Business Simplicity Podcast. I'm Chris Parker and having a conversation with Steph Cuisinier or Cuisinier but in French, it's cuisinier, and God, I love that word. Um, maybe Steph will help us pronounce it better by the end of it, but it, it's uh, Steph is is uh, um, a, a, a consultant, and a coach on some things that I'm really interested in in the area of, of dynamic organizations and team topologies, and I believe basically helping people work better together, and uh, um, there's two times that I believe that Um, I've been able to interact with Steph, um, both times inviting him into organizations to basically inspire and present and, and trigger some people to think differently about how they are organized and how they're working with each other and and what that means and, and bringing organizational dynamics to the next level. So, um, Steph, thank you for joining. I really appreciate it. Maybe, um, after my introduction, um, can you share a little bit in your in your own words what is it that you do?
1: Okay, first of all, happy to be here. So, thanks for inviting me. Um what is it that I do? What I try to do is um help organizations to improve on what are what their goals are and I'm specifically interested in how they structure their teams and their organizations because that's one of the topics that's well, for, for whatever reason, it seems to be um, have taken my, my, my interest. I'm reading a lot about those kinds of questions. But apart from that, um, it's also about how people work together, how teams interact with each other, how leadership is organized. So many of those, I would say, organizational development topics are in my field of interest. And
0: how did you get there? So, maybe maybe um take us on the on the journey um, from wherever you began and and how you ended up working with with topics like this,
1: yeah, well, very short career summaries that I started as a developer, a global developer some something like twenty five or more years ago, I guess, and then. I, I evolved into like technical and functional analysis jobs. And from there, somebody asked me to, to come over to the data center. So then I became sort of like a, an engineer. And first I was more like a Unix engineer. And and then I became more like a project manager. And at that point in my career, because all of this happened in one company, in which was co- quite large insurance company, um, but this got taken over by a, a very large bank and I decided to leave. So I went to a, a startup, uh, a very small startup where I was the, um, the IT lead, the IT manager. But I was also the only ITer. So I did almost like everything. So we were 60 people when I arrived and a year later we were 200. So it was growing exceptionally fast and was a great period. So I had to learn a lot of new skills. Um, and this company evolved as well because it was joined together with other companies and then yeah, at the end um, taken over by a, a large telecom giant in the US. Um, so I ended up in a large telecom giant as a as a project manager um, and as a, a team lead for project managers. And after five years, I decided to to leave that large company because it didn't feel like my a good fit with my DNA was just too big i guess um and i started on my own and 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 because i had the skill of a project manager that was the easy thing to do as a freelancer but i noticed quite soon that i actually was more interested in organizational development as i would call it roles like agile coach or organizational coach something like that but of course i didn't have any background in that area although i had some background knowledge from my it background in the in the other organizations and so I told to um, the companies that, that uh, connected me with customers that I wanted that kind of role. And one of those companies actually sent me to an interview, and and I got a job. So that was really a bit of a surprise. But that's where I learned, of course, to, to all my organizational development skills to to um apply them in practice I was already reading about those topics for probably like a decade but I had never been able to use any of that mm. and this was my first chance and then we're talking about like 20 2018 something like that and ever since then I've been moving into roles which I would call organizational coaching roles
0: yeah no and the the, the space that I'm I'm particularly interested in wrestling with is is the the space between call it the, the wider organization and, and leadership. Um, and, and us call leadership management, because I know leadership can be everywhere in an organization. It should be, um, and I'm, I'm, what I'm seeing, I'm curious if, if you agree with it is from an operating model of a company. Um, if that's people process and technology, maybe data in there as well, the The technology obviously has, you know, it's just accelerated in its developments, even process management, even from the lean days, uh, coming into, you know, the, the ability to automate process and to refine process and to, um, make, make that much, much more efficient, but it seems like the, um, the people dimension, how people are organized, how they interact, you know, related to process um is really lagging behind like like some of these methods that i know that you've been studying and and applying uh, that are still emerging why why do you think that the 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 human dimension the people dimension of a company's operating model is the slowest to evolve if you even agree with the statement
1: yes it's a very interesting observation I, i completely agree with the observation um and I believe there is a, a couple of reasons that that, that I see as um, the possible causes for that. Um, and one of the main reasons is the the strength of, I would call the mental model, which is the pyramid. So when we draw an organization, and when when I draw something on on a, a whiteboard which looks a little bit like a pyramid, people will immediately say it's an it's an org chart. You're, you're you're drawing an orchard. chart. If you draw something with circles and they are linked to each other and it's more like a network, nobody will be knowing what you're actually trying to draw. So the strength of that mental model where people at the bottom are doing things and people at the top are deciding things and people at the top are actually earning more and driving bigger cars and and all those kind of things that are attached to that, which is a a whole world um, and, and also with a lot of economic incentives attached to it. That's a very strong model, and it is still the prevailing model in organizational thinking. While what we come across now in the in the knowledge world, and especially in, in the, the, the last decades, um, this model is not really helping us anymore uh, in the way it did before, because if the people at the bottom of the pyramid are not thinking as much as the people at the top, organizations don't function that all that well anymore. So what people want today in organizations is that everybody contributes to the thinking and to the decision making. But the whole structure around that hasn't changed. It's still organized in a way that the people at the top of the pyramids are better off and that there are wrong incentives to get higher in the pyramids, even if it's not maybe your talent or your passion to be there. But that's the model And as long as we keep that in place it will be very difficult to let the human side evolve at the same pace as what the technology side and the process size are actually doing for decades that's my my personal view on that and i see some transformational um, um consultancies try to work on that aspect as well and they're really really successful but they are like very very small so they, you you could say they are societal experiments today, but their results are extremely successful. So they are showing that by changing this mental model, you come to completely different kind of organizations with completely different people dynamics. But it takes everybody to be on board on that. And everybody,
0: um, maybe unpack some of these these alternatives because I'm um, look, looking at, you, at, at your profile. On, on Reboot, and if and if people would like to learn more about Stefan's work, you can find him on LinkedIn, and I'll put his LinkedIn link on the show notes and also Reboot, which is R-E-B-O-O-T, Reboot.be for Belgium. Um, if you want it in English, you're gonna have to Google Translate it, uh, but that works just fine. And in there, there's Sociocracy 3.0, Holacracy, and, and something that's new to me, Deep Democracy, if that's being translated correctly. Are these some of these patterns that are, I guess, showing some promise for you? And, and, and how would you how would you describe that, that type of approach without going into each individual method?
1: Yeah. what What they have in common is that they describe patterns for human collaboration, which are not necessarily based on hierarchy or um, power relationships, but they are more based on um, equivalent relationships, or uh, um, so where where everybody can participate, and they still acknowledge, of course, that there is roles for um, there. There is an, an, still a necessity for people to coordinate activities where other people are probably not interested in doing the coordination. The question is, should we organize that in a way where the people that do more abstract and coordination type of work, should there be higher in something like um, the food chain? the people that actually do the work or could we think about this differently and could this be like a rotation scheme or could teams self-select their leaders or their representatives so all those kinds of patterns and then ways of making decisions together you will find in in those um, i would call it pattern libraries um, deep democracy sociocracy, holocracy. holacracy so there are libraries of different organizational patterns typically far less hierarchical than what you would see in the in the classical organizations
0: and like you said everyone needs to be involved and i can imagine because if if one well actually i I know it meaning there's a um and it's not really going into sociocracy and 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 holacracy but um one organization that i'm coaching um um, they are going pretty aggressively into cross-functional autonomous teams but a la sort of an agile scrum model from their engineering tech space, but their, their business operational space are still hyper, hyper, um, hierarchical. And they're, they're bumping in, like, like their HR people are going nuts because their head office in Germany demands that they force everyone into a hierarchical structure for reporting. But the, the new model just it just doesn't compute doesn't work doesn't click and so they're they're then having to start you know doing all these other weird behaviors in order to well how do we represent a cross functional circle into a (laughs) a model which wants us to be you know something else um so i can i can really imagine that that, um everyone checking in um how you know I'll, i'll bite like if if people are are struggling with a hierarchical model and they're open to explore something else what 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 tips would you give them like where would you have them start
1: well it, i would start by challenging their beliefs to figure out what it is that they really want to achieve with this because actually what i see happening in the transformation um, world is that most organizations are trying to transform to more, you you, you could say, adaptable, versatile, um, agile structures or ways of working, but not necessarily because they believe that there is a better way of working together with people. Uh, in a lot of situations, they, they try to achieve or to go through those transformations to get quicker to the market or to um, save some costs, but that is a potential side effect and if you're not willing to let go your own beliefs about the power relationships and about leadership and about how you take decisions together and how it will be difficult for you as a leader to make a, a decision purely on your own in this new structure, if that's for you very difficult to let go and you say, yeah, but at the end of the day, I still will be the decision maker and whatever you do underneath me in the organization is okay, but I will be the end decision maker then not so much will change in the end um, because the labels will change and probably some team working will change. And within the teams, things might go quite well, but between the teams and um, outside of the teams, you still get the classical organization around it. And that's what you see actually in most, well, what is happening in most transformations. So they, they will not make the real leadership style shift at the same time. Mm. And they will, by the way, decide on those kind of transformations completely top down. So it will be a very small group of people that made the decision, we're going to do this transformation and they will kind of enforce it to the rest of the organization. It's not like going to be a, a deep democratic debate in the organization. On how could we organize ourselves better to be more productive and more successful?
0: You mean a transformation towards, for example, sociocracy it would need to be a...
1: Even that even yeah. when, when they say we're going to introduce a number of those concepts, then still in a lot of situations they um, it will be a decision from a very small group of people that say yeah. we we you have to do this
0: yeah I, had um, a, yeah I had a chance to have Brian Robertson of Holacracy on the conversation and, and part of my research that and I've also been able to, to join holocracy meeting with a, another company and observed that it was wow it's, it's so fascinating but one of the things with holocracy that I find um, I believe is really nice is there's the the, the concept of the Constitution meaning mm-hmm. that the traditional boss if you will literally signs away power could you call it power control um, formally delegates that through a written constitution and embeds it into the organization. And as, as Brian shared, you know, there's always, of course, that person can always revoke the combat, con, the constitution. You know, so there's always a way out, but I think the fact that it's a formal written signed constitutional decision can make it very
1: black and white. What do you think? Indeed. Yeah. That to me, I, I, I'm, i f- am a little bit familiar with the concept of the Constitution I like the idea that you make it that you formally make this decision to to let go about the, the power what I'm a bit concerned about is that you say but he can still revoke it at any time um what I see the most successful transformation uh, organizations do um, is that they actually make sure that the whole ownership like the uh, the board and the executive committee they need to like, Step in one hundred percent before they actually start with a transformation, and then they make a proposal, and then they go to the whole staff. I mean everybody, and they require something like an eighty percent yes to start doing this, and then they get started. But that's a very high bar. That's not what most transformation mm-hmm. um, transformations will will begin with. They will. They will not ask the consent or the majority vote of uh of most of the the people and they will not involve them in the decision making around that which of course then create the extra challenge of you you don't have their buy-in yet you have decided something because you had some insight and that's great but that's just your insight at that point yeah
0: yeah so I know sometimes I struggle with it because a lot of times it's called the agile organizations that are, that are frustrated with the business management as being the the big obstacle. And I, and I don't feel that's always fair or true because management is dealing with sometimes different tensions and they you know, they have a different context. Um, but let, let's imagine that um, Both management and, say, the organization were aware that things could be more human, could be a bit, you know, more, more, it could be more flow in the organization. Um, wh- how, what would you do with that top management group to get to shift their mindset? Because obviously, they have, have to be aware of that there's a problem, they have to be um, open for alternatives and a, a CEO calls you and says, you know, hey Steph, um you, you know, we need to we need to we we need to make a move here. Not really quite sure, you know, can you help my executive team discover the possibilities? W- what would that journey look like?
1: Um well, interesting question. Um one of the things that that I would uh, coach them is um in in classical organizations, those people are actually trained to, they get a lot of questions and they need to provide the answers. One of the things they, they can change quite quickly is uh, st- stop thinking that they need to be the answer to all the questions and learning to work with their own teams and groups to actually give the power to the group to co-decide and then they can still work out different stages in how the teams will get there. Because, of course, if they're not used to this way of working, that that might feel very uncomfortable as well in the beginning. Um, But that is a very strong signal that I'm no longer going to decide this on my own. You will be co-responsible, but you will also have a say in the decision. So if you are impacted, you will be You will be at least consulted, and where it's possible, we will um, take into account what, what what you actually what what your opinion was. So that's definitely one of the things that the leadership teams can do. What they also can do is that extend their meetings. So if you have an executive committee with a very small group that typically take the top decisions, you can extend the group and say actually we can open this meeting up to I don't know. Anybody who wants to join so that you create a a level of transparency, it's not like everybody is going to show up in your executive meeting. Not everybody will be interested, but you create this openness like there is nothing discussed here that should not be known by all of you. So you and, and that might be a challenge for a lot of organizations because maybe they have this non-transparent culture where a lot of actually is discussed behind closed doors and not everybody should know all those things and and i know there is definitely uh, confidentiality and other concerns there but still you create the opportunity for people to start participating in the decision process and what i seen one large um, belgian company do is that they have an executive committee but around that they have a number of you could say middle managers that are um, a circle around that and they actually are invited to all of those meetings of the executive committee. And what they see happening after I don't know how much time that they they um, experimented with this concept is that they um, after a while, less and less, the people of the executive committee actually have to speak in those meetings. So they already evolved to a, a place or to a situation where the people, you could say, at one level or two levels below them in the organizations are having the discussions. They are still there. The the, the executives are still there. But they are no longer there seen as, yeah, but at the end of the, the meeting, he or she will take the decision anyway. So why should we bother? So they, they they have learned to step back and see what happens. Obviously, that also creates some challenges for them because then you have to ask yourself, what's my, my role still here? But I'm convinced that there is always enough be concerned about and you can actually create so much more support in your organization if you start with those kinds of experiments and that's just a step towards more i would say uh, participative decision making
0: i can imagine there's a big shift for the others as well because um you highlighted some major shifts of, of mindset for the call it the executives um but if the executives are are sharing those responsibilities with others, then others need to be ready to take those responsibilities. Because I think that, that's something I see a lot in organizations is people pointing figures at executives and saying, well, you know, you're not making decisions fast enough. And then actually, if it comes back and they say, well, why don't you just make the decision? Then then the whole, the, you know, the context changes like, oh, wait, that, you know, yeah. these, are, these are actually complex, difficult decisions.
1: <laughs> yeah, they are. So Absolutely. Have fun and with <laughs> yeah, 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 and they're complex for everybody, in, yeah. indeed, and and of course, um, one of the one of the, I would say, hesitations in those kind of changed trajectories is that for people not used to being empowered and take decisions, it might feel really uncomfortable having all that responsibility because all of a sudden you can't um, split the freedom to co-decide and the responsibility for the decision. So in a classical organization, many people can say it wasn't my decision. I wasn't there. It was the boss who decided whatever. So that's, and that works quite well. And that feels comfortable. They know a lot of things don't go their way or go wrong, but it's not their responsibility because somebody else decided it. And of course, that kind of comfortable feeling goes away when you go to a more participative um, way of deciding. But what I've learned also is that if you take the time to to um, explain to people and to let them experience what the advantages are. Because, of course, you can impact your own future. You can co-decide on your own future and on every aspect of your own future. Also, financial aspects and whatever. I mean, all uh, all of it that happens in the organization um, that you will feel... Feel much more committed to the outcomes because you were there and you were involved in the decision making. It's no longer somebody else who decided some something that you are half disagreeing with. I'm wondering what is the end outcome of this? Meaning, um,
0: I can imagine that, you know you know business results. Oh wait, in in the the. In this time and of humanity that we're in, where things are, call it very disruptive, you know, VUCA, you know, volatile, uncertain. Um, that an ability for an organization to sense and respond quicker with the people closer to the problems making the the, the best decisions, as opposed to delegating that all the way up. So, I think speed, quality, um, business results, but more. I, I'm not sure if it's more important to me, but but at least equally important to me is the the human condition because it it feels to me that this would be much more satisfying, more fun, more engaging, you know, for people who are spending you know most of the time of their day at work. Um, isn't this just a nicer way to live?
1: Absolutely, I'm I'm convinced organizations that do that, and there are quite a number that already work that way. Uh, what they see is that there is a lot, um, they, they have much better retention um, numbers. Typically also they don't fire people when when the numbers go bad, they will co decide on what to do. And I've seen companies do that really well as well. And, and then you see, um, yeah, you, you get a completely different way of thinking about working together as a team um, and um, contributing, to something that actually matters to you, but contributing really in a way that you feel that your voice is heard and you have impact on whatever happens in the organization and it's not something that you undergo or that is decided that's at someplace else. So is it for everybody? I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure that for most people, it will lead to happier, um, happier lives and much more engagement. Towards the organization, I guess less
0: stress, and, and again, not being a stress expert, I'm, I'm, I can be sometimes an expert of being stressed. But <laughs> um, that that you know, stress and the risk of burnout has you know a lot a lot to do with with just a you know just overwhelm and volume of work, but also the um, the person's feeling of being able to influence their environment, because it can be very stressful for people who believe they have no options, no scenarios out. They can't influence the environment. So decisions are being taken up upon them and they don't have a social structure either at work or, or outside of work. And, and, and if you have a, a perfect storm of negativity there, then then burnout was almost certainly, and it sounds to me like um, this is collective. It's a social dynamic. People are definitely have, able to have influence um, probably the decisions of what types of work and the volumes of work that they can handle are part of that. Um Why wouldn't, why Absolutely. would why wouldn't an organization do this? This all sounds like, like magical Kool-Aid, you know, this, this can't, this is, this. If we're, yeah. we're talking, if we're talking to, you know, maybe what organization would, would you say that, that this wouldn't be perfect for?
1: There are none but the, the the challenge is that it is like I said, it's the strength of the the prevailing mental model. we We are still growing up in a world where people that are good at abstract thinking, the people that have degrees, people that have whatever I mean um, the the whole social status thing around it that they feel like they are probably better decision makers than that people that are carrying out um manual labor. So the the interesting thing is that one of the, original cases um, that I've been um, looking into a Spanish company, Irizar, which is actually in the automotive industry, and they're completely reorganized themselves in a way, as, as I just explained, so a very participative way, but they're not a white collar company. They are like um, in the automotive, they, they're making spare parts for, for other um, car companies. And so even in that kind of a context where many of the people are blue color, they're all co-decided on everything, on the financial future of the company, of the strategic direction of everything, the working hours. I mean, everything is co-decided. That's the way they work. They operate completely like that. And financially, they're very successful. And there's a, a number of cases like that. So it's not a matter of is this is this not working for some type of organizations? Mm. No, we just hesitant to try it. Um, and of course, we need to let go a lot of our own beliefs about how the world or leadership and things like that work. That is true.
0: I I don't know. I I I blame Milton Friedman. <laughs> I Meaning mean, that bastard. Uh, okay, yeah. So he's an a, a, economist. a super wise man. I'm sure, but um, uh, he's the one who's credited with the you know the the, the statement that businesses exist to increase shareholder value. I, I know it's more refined than that, but it's that's basically the outcome. And what if Friedman would have said, you know? Something like, comma, and to create the best possible living conditions for people, or something like that. Um, I, I think MBA business schools would, but the, the textbooks would be different.
1: Yeah, but we are evolving in in yeah. in in that direction. I would say because what you see, everything um, people call these day, um, triple bottom line, um, and and th- things like that. So we want to do the right thing. Of course, um, private enterprises are there to to make some money. If they don't are not are, are not financially sound, they they won't survive either. But it's not enough as a purpose. If they are not having a positive impact on the world, they have a purpose problem, and that that impact is societal. I mean, on people and also on the planet, and it's all those aspects that need to be aligned with each other. It's no longer a game of if you're just making money, we're we're all fine, and those companies are still there. There's still a lot of companies like that, and they are still successful, but they will struggle struggle, in my opinion, in the future because that model is actually the model that, and you, you refer to Milton Friedman that also created all what we call the externalities and all the collateral damage to the planet and to um to people. Um, because in in that model, it's okay to use low cost labor in other countries or to destroy um the environment while you're making good money and that is and that is of course something that we we can't keep doing
0: hmm. M- money is important, but it's uh, as you say sh- as you say it that way it, it, it's like wait a second, you know we' we are literally destroying the planet so someone can have more of something so abstract as the concept of money. Um, Our children's children are going to look back with some fascination. (laughs) What the hell were we thinking? And, uh, and there is a shift going on. So, um, um, the, yeah. Um, for me, the, 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 there's a business transactional dimension of work, you know, so that, you know, the, the shareholder value, the revenue performance, there's also a relational, uh, dimension so that, you know, the people working with, with each other at the company, also the customers and also the ecosystem. So the impact on society. And, um, but for me, there's also an, an internal drive. So sort of a, um, the people who. I think every person has an innate value and a and a desire to to do their thing, you know, to to live their life and and explore the world and and learn and grow. And in the process of learning and growing, of course, that means making mistakes and and doing foolish things and and uh, you know getting you know a scrape on your knee every once in a while. And then you know, of course, then and then becoming more wise over time. And hopefully, then you know, imparting that gift for me though all of that what you call magic i don't know all of that real, all of that is what i look for in 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 business because it can all be there it's already there we just don't really we don't really put a spotlight on it that way and uh i hope we continue to make that shift
1: completely agree couldn't have said it better so um
0: yeah <laughs> for the reason i'm too- I was hoping you would disagree. Like no, <laughs>
1: no. But what I what I uh, want to add to that is that yeah. many people still see that as a potential conflict. Yeah, we're still living in a world where it seems that you you need to choose like either you're gonna make a lot of money and then you're probably gonna do bad things for the world and for people, or you're gonna be a, a happy person and um and doing good things for the world, but then probably you're not gonna make all that much money. So, but that is um a false for me it's, it's a false paradox. we need to learn to think about its end and and yes, we can do good things for the planets and good things for people and still have a, a very comfortable living that's perfectly possible, and many organizations are actually already proving that, but it is still easier to make more money by creating some damage that is also true so let's go for mm. the little bit more challenging but much more rewarding way of thinking about yeah. that easier. and not a conflict way yeah
0: easier a um I've been kicking around a little bit uh, a while ago, but I, I, I've, I've dropped the term, but this whole easier part, because what what emerged to me was the concept of lazy management versus love management. And again, I'm, I'm overusing the word love too many times, but it, it seems like, um, it requires less commitment, vulnerability connection for a manager to show up and, and, simply manage people by, by performance metrics at a distance from a dashboard. You know, it's, it's, it makes it too easy um, to abstract away the human condition. And I believe that the, that person also suffers, you know, meaning, meaning doing it the lazy way or the easy way, making, making money without considering the impact on society. Will also damage that person. So I think there's all there's also a dimension of just self care of no show up. You know, get, you know it's wrote, definitely
1: less rewarding.
0: Which, yeah, yeah, just, just show up. Um, love it. So, um, Steph, any any last comments or questions or anything that's alive in you that you'd like to unpack a little bit before we wrap up?
1: Um, yeah, I I wanted to maybe go back one second to what you, you called the, the shareholder model, because that's also one of my um, insights is that the whole shareholder model has that, that's another organizational concept, which is very, very strong in our economy. But what it does is it splits actually the responsibility for funding an organization from the responsibility to run it. So the executives are running it and the board and the, the owners um, the are the are the shareholders but what that does with many organizations is that actually those shareholders they are like pension funds they are like institutional um, investors but they are not committed into the purpose of the company they are committed in making a return for their investors and that is a problem because that way you create wrong incentives. So I believe that the share, that companies are not meant to create shareholder um, value only, and especially not in a context where the shareholders are anonymous investors who are actually just looking for a quick return, and they will quickly reinvest in another company if the return in your company is not high enough. That's actually a false model and it creates a problem, just like the hierarchy and the pyramid, this is also a puzzle we need to solve. And so what you see organizations do, that's the whole world of cooperatives, but also where um, um, some some transformed organizations say that like a, a certain percentage, I hear sometimes the number of 30% of the, of the profit will be redistributed among all people that work in the company, always. And then the impact of the shareholders will be smaller. There's still impactful, but there are, at least there is more split or I would say more distribution of the wealth among everybody and not among the people that actually took the risk to invest the money, which is very valuable and we need them, but it's not enough. And it's only a part of the contribution that we need in organizations.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I guess there's there's these these dilemmas up and down the the, the chains of an organization. And and what I love about speaking with you and, and, and the work you that you're doing is you're looking at these different column levels of the dynamics and seeing how, you know, what's contributing to what effect and um, are, are we, are we conscious and are we aware of the effect that these, these uh, unconscious decisions are making? So it's a um, well, I've certainly benefited, you know, the, the two times that, that we've been a bit more formally working together that you are able to inspire and engage um, two different teams that I was working with. And, and uh, I would definitely invite people that if they, if they're looking to explore um, some new, just alternative ways of looking at the business world, that is still, you know, returning a profit, you know, hitting, hitting your performance goals and is um, more supportive of the, of the humanity, um within your organization and also with your customers and so- society and and for me very important is that the the relation of everyone with themselves meaning are people mm-hmm. satisfied are they are they comfortable are they comfortable in their skin are they are they um are they having fun you know in life is it contributing or taking away from from their life well then uh, uh reach out to steph um, again um i'm gonna i'm gonna yeah i call him cuisinier uh, but just before we started <laughs> recording he corrected me that it's uh should be in french so it's cuisinier and that's steph yep. um i hit it that time i butchered it the first time <laughs> and yep. uh and you can find him on linkedin at steph you know it's spelled out um cuisinier so it, it's a c u i s i n i e r or at reboot r e - b o o t . b e um and uh yeah prepared to be inspired
1: thanks thanks for the talk chris it's really interesting always a pleasure with you steph thank you so much
0: thank you for listening visit ebullient.com to download the simple business design framework don't forget to like and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite player